welcome to the Palmwood Podcast, part of the teaching ministry of Palmwood Church in Oviedo, Florida, where we love God extravagantly, love people with humility, and mentor others to do the same. Here's Pastor John with an introduction for this week's message. Thanks, David. Hi, everyone, and welcome back to the Palmwood Podcast. We're back with our series on true worship, but now we're going to move into the application of what we've learned so far. Today, we talk about worshiping God in solitude, how to worship God by ourselves. It's a beautiful thing, and those who practice such worship regularly express how it deepens their walk with Christ and their awe of God more generally. But just what does this personal worship in solitude look like? What does it consistently include? Today's message is highly practical, and we'll answer those questions and more. I hope it's a blessing to you. Today's message is going to be coming from Psalm 63, Psalm 63, verses 1 through 11. You, God, are my God. Earnestly I seek you. I thirst for you. My whole being longs for you in a dry and parched land where there is no water. I've seen you in the sanctuary and beheld your power and your glory. Because your love is better than life, my lips will glorify you. I will praise you as long as I live. And in your name, I will lift up my hands. I will be fully satisfied as the riches of foods. With singing lips, my mouth will praise you. On my bed, I will remember you. I thank of you through the watches of the night because you are my help. I sing in the shadow of your wings. I cling to you. Your right hand upholds me. Those who want to kill me will be destroyed. They will go down to to the depths of the earth. They will be given over to the sword and become food for the jackals. But the king will rejoice in God. All who swear by God will glory in Him, while the mouths of liars will be silenced. Amen. Amen. I don't know if you noticed in that psalm, but the, the psalm was written in the first person. Did you catch it? I, my... Many of the psalms are are written third person. Some of the psalms are written second person. But this one, and others like it, are personal. This is not only David instructing those who would sing this as part of their worship in in the temple and the tabernacle, um, how to worship God, but it was how to personally worship God. Today we're going to talk about how to worship God in solitude. Um, and I just I want to begin very quickly by saying there is a huge difference between solitude and isolation. And I've had this conversation with a lot of people over the years. Uh, when we isolate ourselves, we, we get away. We get away from people. We, but the, the, the purpose of isolation is to be alone. 
the purpose of solitude, as we're defining it here today, is to be alone with God. And there is an enormous difference between those two things. I love this statement by Rachel Johnson from the Harvest Fellowship. Uh, rather than being cut off, she talks about solitude being a place. It's a place in time that is set apart for God and God alone. A time when we unplug and withdraw from the noise of interpersonal interactions, from the noise, busyness, and constant stimulation associated with life and the company of other people. Solitude can also be associated with a physical place that has been set apart for times alone with God. A place that is not cluttered with work, noise, technology, other relationships, or any of those things, listen to this, that call us back into doing mode. I love that. Because I am, by nature, a busybody. I live in doing mode. When it comes to solitude, not isolation, but solitude, Jesus is our sample. He is our example. You see, personal worship and personal prayer are inextricably linked together. And we see examples of that in Mark 1.35, Luke 4.42, Luke 5.16. Jesus exemplifies consistent personal prayer and worship throughout his earthly ministry. Some examples. Jesus got alone with his dad in prayer and worship before he chose the twelve. Do you realize that? He spent a whole night fasting and praying before the Lord. These would become the apostles who would turn the world upside down after his crucifixion. Jesus got alone with his father in prayer and worship after the loaves and fishes miracle. That's Mark 6.46. He got off by himself. He got alone by himself in prayer and worship before going to Caesarea Philippi, which is where Peter would make the first official declaration that he was the Christ, the Son of the living God. He got alone in personal prayer and worship before the Lord right before the transfiguration, when Peter, James, and John would be the first human beings to experience the actual glory of Christ. He got alone with his Father before teaching his disciples how to pray, Luke 11, Matthew chapter 6. And of course, in the garden, before the crucifixion, he went with his disciples, but then told them to stay apart. And he went off by himself to spend time with his father in prayer. You know, we've been talking about this verse that says we need to do everything we do to the glory of God. If that's true, if everything that we do is to the glory of God, then we must stay in a state where we can glorify God. Which means we're going to be worshiping a whole lot more by ourselves than we will corporately as a body. This isn't a knock to corporate worship, not at all, because we're called to do that as well. The writer of Hebrews says, don't forsake assembling together. But it is a reminder that every moment of our life throughout the day is to be an act of worship before the Lord. Let's pray. Father, I have personally been very convicted during this series that I am spending way too much of my time on automatic pilot. 
And I am not living, Father, with the intentional glory-giving spirit that I am to have. And for that, I would ask your forgiveness. And the empowerment of your spirit to keep me in check and empower me to, to do just that. To live in such a way that I'm giving you glory in everything that I do. And Father, I would pray the same for that, same uh, for these, your, your, your children here at Palmwood. That they too, throughout their days, would not get distracted by the mundane. And even the, the unexpected. But that even in the midst of those times, every word we say and every action we take is intentionally designed to give glory to you. And so meet us where we are this day, imperfect, falling short, and enable us, Jesus, by your Holy Spirit, to actually become what you've called us to become, true worshipers. And may we put that devotion on display before this world you desire to save. We pray this in your victorious name. Amen. Amen. Worshiping by yourself. Um, so I want to begin just by going back to our working definition of worship we've been using for the last several weeks. That worship by our definition essentially has uh, three major components. Reverence, awe, a healthy fear of the Lord. Adoration, love, that we genuinely desire and, and love God. And then glory, which is what we talked about last week, where we give, we reflect back the glory of God. And we do that by the way that we live and what we do. Glory is most seen in our lives as we live obediently and faithfully back to the Lord. So each week now, as we come away from the, the foundational messages we've had over the last five weeks, talking about the definition and, and what it means to worship God in spirit and in truth, now we're going to kind of get into a nuts and bolts portion of our series where we talk about what it looks like to worship in various places and various roles that we have in life. And today we want to talk about what that looks like when we're by ourselves. So here's what I want us to do with each one of these weeks that follows. Now, I want us to think, as we're going through that week's particular topic, thinking about that place or that role that we are in, answer the same questions each week. In this role, how do I revere God? In this role, how do I adore God? In this role, how do I give glory back to God? <clears throat> Today... We're talking about worshiping in solitude and whether we just happen to be by ourselves or we're actually taking intentional time away, like in a retreat, we want to talk about what that looks like to revere, to adore, and to glorify God. I would refer you back to Psalm 63. <clears throat> Psalm 63 is a great example of King David's personal worship expressed in one of his songs. And so we're going to go step by step through Psalm 63 because David teaches his 
kingdom and by virtue of the psalm teaches us here in 2019 some really critical pieces of this personal worship puzzle. The first piece is that this worship, this personal worship, begins with a recognition of who God is. Verse 1. And, and I would, for those that have been with us for a while, as we talked about prayer a couple of years ago, remember when we went through the Lord's Prayer, that was, I told you, the, the first piece of Jesus' lesson in, in teaching his disciples how to pray was recognizing who the Lord is. Our Father who art in heaven. Right off the bat, we start with who it is we're talking to, right? And, and here, David does the same thing in this psalm. Psalm 63. Oh God, you are my God. I'm going to stop before I do anything else and I'm going to recognize I am talking to the Almighty. I am, I am in the presence of the Almighty. If you think back just a few weeks to August 25th in our series, we talked specifically about how uh, in, in worshiping God in truth, it requires us to think about who God is. That's a piece of the puzzle of worshiping God in truth. That we need to focus on his attributes and that as we do that, we will be compelled to worship. That is especially true in personal times of worship. It is wonderful when we are gathered together as the body of Christ on a Sunday or some other gathering and there's wonderful music and you hear all the voices worshiping together. There's, there's a, a really special thing that happens when God's people are together. But I, from my personal experience, maybe yours is not the same, but from my personal experience, the times when I have been most awed by God are times when I'm one-on-one -on -one with him. So think about this. You're in your solitude time before the Lord, whether that's a, a quiet time on a Monday morning or you're away on a retreat someplace, spending intentional planned time away with God, and you begin to realize that our God is infinite. Remember these, these attributes that we talked about a few weeks ago? Our God is unchanging. He doesn't shift with the tide. Our God is complete. He requires nothing. Our God is all-powerful. There is none greater than Him. Our God is all-knowing. He's the designer and architect of all things. Our God is everywhere present at the same time. There is no limitation. He is faithful. He is good. He is just. He is merciful. He is gracious. He is loving. He is holy. He is glorious. And I told you on the 25th as we went through each one of those that that was only a partial list of the attributes of our God. When you're by yourself and you just stop and, and take David's instruction, Oh God, you are my God in everything you are and just stop and consider before you go on in your worship all the attributes of God. I mean, come on. Some of those really speak to you personally. What, what speaks to me in, in, in my life and where I am in a particular day may be very different than what speaks to Michael or, or what speaks to Rodney. But something on that list is going to grab your heart. <laughs> and is going to hold you tight, and you're going to go. 
This is, this is a worship word. Wow. <laughs> right? And that, that's a word of, of awe. Wow. It begins with recognizing who God is. We move from there, realizing that this worship, this personal worship, is rooted in a passion for His presence. David goes on to say, Earnestly I seek you. My soul thirsts for you. My body longs for you in a dry and weary land where there is no water. Anybody ever been really, really thirsty? You know, mowing grass in Florida will do it to you. It'll do it to you. And you come in and you're just parched, you know. I, I realized part of my altitude experience this past week at 14,200 feet on the top of, of Mount Evans was that the air there, while it was thin, it was also extremely dry. And by the time I got down to the car, I downed a whole bottle of water without taking it away from my lips <laughs> because I was parched. I was dry. Listen to these words as we have a passion for his presence. Earnestly I seek you. My soul thirsts for you. My body yearns for you. This is language of a deep and abiding desire for our God. Next we see that this worship is a response to his glory and power. Verse 2, we are compelled to worship God when we've had an encounter with him. Remember our look at Isaiah's response a couple of weeks ago when he saw God in the temple? What did Isaiah say? Yeah. Woe is me! I am undone! Right? This, this response of an encounter with God. When we observe his glory, when we observe his power, we worship. Right? The presence of the Almighty in Revelation. We talked about the four living creatures and the elders last week. What's going on with them in the presence of God? They bow and they worship. This worship is also a response to his love. Verse 3, because your love is better than life, my lips will glorify you. Love and worship cannot be separated. John tells us in one of his letters that we love, our whole experience of love, we love because he first loved us. He's the source of the love that we even have for one another. Think here about what we've been saying regarding the Shema, or, or as we've talked about the, the great commandment that Jesus gives in response to the, the legalist. We talked about that a few weeks ago, where Jesus, actually quoting the Shema, says, Love the Lord your God, how? With all your heart, with all your soul, with all your mind, with all your strength, with every fiber of your being. We respond to God's love by returning back love and worship. Next, we see that this personal worship is filled with unadulterated praise. Verse 4. Just as with love, worship and praise are inseparable. You can't pull them apart. In personal worship, our praise is particularly filled with thanksgiving. You see, we worship God. We, we are compelled to worship Him because of who He is. Think attributes. But we are compelled to praise Him because of what He has done. Because of how He has treated us, not as our sins deserve, but with grace and with mercy. 
when we, when we see how God has treated us, when we see who God is for us, it drives us to praise. I will praise you as long as I live, says David, and your name will, I will lift up my hand. In your name I will lift up my hands. This worship is also an expression of satisfaction in him. Listen to David's words. My soul will be satisfied as with the richest foods. With singing lips, my mouth will praise you. Friends, I'm concerned that this particular piece of the puzzle is something that most American Christians don't get. It really concerns me. I, I think that this component of, of worship may actually be missing in many churches in the United States today. Because I think that we may live in one of the most ungrateful nations on earth. Quite honestly. Have you looked at Facebook recently? How many of you have Christian friends that post on Facebook? What are they posting? Does it look thankful and full of gratitude? Does it look like they're satisfied? Does it look like they're content? I think we're a very uncontent nation. It appears that there's little or no satisfaction expressed by Christians, at least in this nation. And I, I'm, I'm telling you, if we don't find our satisfaction in Christ, if we don't find our satisfaction in God, there is a very real sense where our ability to worship is hampered. And I think our ungrateful spirit in this nation is very likely hurting our worship of the Most High God. Verses 6 through 10 tell us the next piece of this is a response to God's protection. David is writing this psalm. If there's anyone who understands God's protection, <laughs> it's David. Oh my goodness, the things that David had to go through. He understands God's protection well. But you know what? Many of us in this room also know God's protection. Some of us in this room, we have stories of God's protection on the road, some scary, th some scary times. Uh, I don't know how many of you ever have jackknifed a Mack truck before, <laughs> but somebody in this room has, and God spared him. I've got a, a couple of stories of late night drives when I was working overnight times and, and accidents that didn't happen that should have and, and things where I'm sure that my guardian angels are pretty beat up. But more than just gratitude, remembering these things should drive us to worship. Last piece of the puzzle in verse 11 is that this worship knows its place, and I love this. The worshiper knows his or her posture before the Almighty. And I wonder if David wasn't very intentional in the words he uses in what we call verse 11. Listen to this. But the king will rejoice in God. David was the king. David was the top dog. He was the head honcho. He was the big kahuna. And David, in a psalm he writes for all of Israel to worship God, puts on display that the top dog is setting himself low before the Father. 
He knew that he was nothing and that God is everything. David knew that his life, his, his family line, which was a promised family line, his throne, all of his wealth, everything that he had, he knew it belonged to and was sourced from God himself. And so in this worship, we know our place. David's song in Psalm 63 gives us some great instruction about personal worship, private worship. Worship when we are in solitude, just us and God alone. Now, as we've done in past weeks, I want to move from the lesson itself to talking about just some practical characteristics of, of what this looks like from the rest of the scriptures. And again, as I've said in past weeks, this is a very inexhaustive list. The first thing that we have is that personal worship includes self-denial. Our reference to that would be Matthew 6, verses 16 through 18. Self-denial could be fasting. It could be uh, a type of fast from media or other things where we, we're just getting away from things that we normally indulge in so that we can really focus our time on the Lord. It's setting everything that would distract us aside so that we can put God first. Personal worship also includes silence. Now, I've got to admit to you, Psalm 46 is where this comes from. Just be still and know that I am God. I have to admit to you, this is the hardest piece of the puzzle for me. Some of you I've, I've, I've told one-on-one, -on -one, I don't know if I've ever said this from behind the, the pulpit, but um, if I ever go on a retreat, retreat, it always has to be at least two days because it takes me the better part of one full day just to quiet my spirit so I can actually engage with God. I will sit there in, sometimes on a couch or a chair or whatever, with a legal pad and a pen, and as I'm trying to engage, something will plop into my head. I've got to write it down, and I just make my list and get all that stuff out of my head, you know, just kind of a, a brain dump <laughs> to get all that out of there so that I am then free and open, quiet, to spend time with the Lord. Worship does not always require some form of activity. Sometimes it's just quiet. And that takes us to the second piece of the puzzle there, or the third piece of the puzzle. Personal worship includes devoted listening. I have found that I cannot listen to God. I don't sometimes even hear God unless my spirit is quiet. If I'm stirred up with anxiety or I'm stirred up with, with something else that, that's just disruptive, I can't hear that still small voice that speaks to me. Personal worship also includes Bible reading. Joshua 1, 8, 2 Timothy 3, 16 and 17. You know, when I do this uh, in my particular way, it may not work for you, you know, different things work for different people, but I will typically have a particular passage or a book from the Bible that I'm going to study and I'm going to read through. That keeps my mind from what I kind of have a plan so I'm not all over the map, you know. But if I'm staying in the Scriptures, I found that still leaves enough room for the Holy Spirit to redirect me from that passage if he's got something else on the menu for me during that time. But there's a plan to spend time in the Word. No, duh, personal worship includes prayer. <laughs> It has to because worship and prayer are inextricably linked. Matthew 5, verses 6 and 7, Ephesians 6, 18. We've got to spend 
time in conversation with the Lord. And by the way, I know this is very un-American, but conversation means the talking is going two directions, not just one. And so when you pray, you're not doing all the talking. It's not like you just have your laundry list and you're going down, ticking off all the things that you've got, the boxes that you need to make sure that God is if he's your servant. It's the other way around, folks. We talk to God, but then we allow him to talk back to us. Personal worship includes praise. And the one thing I'll say here is just a, a reminder. Praise is both spoken and in song. I can't tell you how many people over the years, as I've talked about these kinds of things with them, they've, they've said, well, you know, praise is really hard for me because I'm not really musical. And I, you have to take them to the scriptures and say, you know, there's places where people praise God. Has, there's no music at all. It doesn't require an organ or a guitar or, or a band. You know, I, I praise you, Lord, because, fill in the blank, it can be spoken from your heart. And so today, as, as we talk about this personal, um, private worship with God in solitude, just us and God, I would just remind you, sometime in your own time, to go back again to Exodus chapters 33 and 34 where Moses is having a conversation with God. Moses has been walking with him for a while now and Moses has this thing where he's finally saying, you know, I just can't take this anymore. I've got to see God's glory. And so Moses says to God, I want to see your glory. I want to see it. And God's basically saying, sorry, Mo, you can't handle it. <laughs> But look at the yearning that Moses has as he pleads with God. That's the yearning we should have in our personal worship with the Lord. So, as you look at this, reflect. How is your personal worship? Thanks for joining us for the Palmwood Podcast. If you'd like more information about Palmwood Church and its ministry, see our website at palmwoodchurch.com. Have a blessed day.